welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here with another album review for you guys. Today we're digging into Madonna's sixth album, True Blue, and this one came out in 1986. I really didn't realize this was her sixth album. I thought uh, Like a Virgin was her first and this was her second, but that just goes to show uh, how much I was paying attention to things back then. Um, you know, I, I knew some of her singles. I, I didn't really follow her career, um, you know, but it, but I'd heard things about her uh, here and there, mostly from like MTV and stuff like that, because that was really the resource we had at the time. Um, yeah, really cool, though. This album uh, was hugely successful. Sold their, uh, they say somewhere in the uh, 25 million copy range. And that is just, I mean, that's absolutely insane to me. It actually beat out Like a Virgin, uh, which was believed to have sold around in the, in the 21 millions. And that one came out in 84. Um, I did not realize this was a bigger album than that, which is pretty cool. And so I started thinking, you know, of course, you're like, well, who are the top 10 albums? Have I covered any of those? Um, no, I don't think so. Let me look. So Michael Jackson Thrillers first, um, most best selling of all time, uh, 70 million. Absolutely crazy. I don't understand the second one at all, but that's just life. ACDC back in black um, comes in around 50 million. I just, I, I don't get their sound. Um, I, I, I've just never been a fan of theirs. I get that they do uh, have riffs that are very catchy. They're incredibly radio friendly. The little bit that I drive um, almost every time I get in the car, it's either Aerosmith or ACDC is, is can be found somewhere on one of the five stations programmed into my radio. Um but it, their their sound has really just never done anything for me. Uh, third is uh, Whitney Houston, the Bodyguard soundtrack. That's coming in around 45 million, I'm sure. Purely off of the song, I Will Always Love You. I don't know what else is on that soundtrack, but I, I guarantee the bulk of it came from that. Um, number four is not too surprising. Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Number five, Eagles Greatest Hits. Um, that's just weird that a Greatest Hits would be on there. Um, but it is, and that sold around 44 million. Um, next up we have meatloaf bad out of hell. That's, that's not too much of a surprise. 43 million right there. Um, number seven is the Eagles hotel, California, Jesus Christ. Um, eighth is Shania Twain. Come on over. I have covered that one on the show. Um, number nine is Fleetwood Mac at 40 million, uh, tying Shania Twain in that 40 million range. I don't know exactly the, the numbers, but in that range. Um, and then, uh, number 10 is, uh, Another uh, soundtrack, Saturday Night Fever. It's the Bee Gees and various artists. This is a disco album. So this being in the top 10 of all time is is kind of mind boggling. Um, and that was uh, that also came in at, at 40. But there is an interesting um, sort of pattern within the last five albums. Bad Out of Hell was 77. Hotel California was 76. Come On Over was 97. Rumors was 77. And Saturday Night Fever was 77. So lots of, se- uh, you know, years ending or decades ending with the, the year seven um, are uh, are piling on top of those. To be honest, I'm surprised like all time selling would not have been a Led Zeppelin album. They came in at number 11 with Led Zeppelin four um, at 37 million. I'm not surprised about Michael Jackson, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I would have thought the Beatles would have been in there. Um, I would have thought like either the White Album, Sgt. Pepper, Let It Be, or Revolver would have been in the top 10, but the Beatles didn't even make the top 10. So I kind of feel like after that, you know, everything's kind of out the window. 
Um, Metallica did not make the top 10. Uh, their first one comes in at, uh, looks like 18, uh, with the album Metallica. So not even Master of Puppets or Ride the Lightning, which is, is kind of a surprise. Um, Guns N' Roses' Appetite for, for Destruction is, is up there in the top 25. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. I would not have expected these at all. Not at all. Um, no Black Sabbath, no other Led Zeppelin, no Deep Purple, no Uriah Heep. Um, real shockers because, you know, they're, they're the kind of the ones that paved the way for rock and roll. No, um, Elvis either, you know, so I'm not sure exactly what this chart encompasses. Um, I should, I should point that out. It's just, um, top, what I, uh, searched for was top selling albums and this list um, is is just overall top selling albums, which includes studio albums, greatest hits and compilations, soundtracks, and live albums. So if I just did like studio albums, obviously that would uh, would would change the game a bit because we've got a couple soundtracks and uh, a greatest hits on here. So there's three that could uh, potentially change. But anyway, it's it's very interesting. Um, I'm I'm really shocked that none of the uh, sort of what do they call them? The Godfather bands of of uh, you know hard rock uh, are are not on the list. I'm I'm very very shocked at that. No Machine Head, um, <laughs> uh, no Heaven and Hell, nothing. Wow. Okay, well we're not here to talk about bands that uh, aren't Madonna. We're here to talk about Madonna. So we should talk about Madonna. Um, so this album is kind of an interesting one for me. It um, it I I had gotten the cassette. Because this would have been shortly before we left Michigan and uh, cassettes were the thing at the time because CDs weren't a thing yet. That didn't happen until after we moved to Colorado. I'm sure it had nothing to do with our move to Colorado. I'm sure that was completely coincidental. But in any case, it, cassettes were the thing because um, I knew we were moving. Uh, I knew I wasn't taking my albums with me, so there was no buying albums. So it was really down to cassettes at that point. And um, I, I don't remember specifically what sparked me to to purchase this. I want to say it was the song La Isla Bonita, but I don't know that for a fact. Uh, all I remember was there was some reason I saw this and went, ooh, with my limited funds, um, I'm going to buy this. And what I recall is not when I bought it as much as when I really started to listen to it. And that fall, um, so this would have been fall of 87, um, before uh, before we left Michigan, because we left in April of 88. So in that fall of 87, I remember, you know, before the snow came, we we had certain things that we had to do to start prepping the house. Um, I remember uh, painting the trim on the house and I had my little Sony Walkman. And uh, for some reason, like it was it was not really cold yet, but this would have been probably October um, there was a little bit of warmth out there, but it was starting to get, you know, later in the fall, we could feel the winter coming. So we thought, well, we better hurry up and get some stuff done on the outside so we can sell the house um, as soon as possible. And then um, this was the cassette I grabbed as I was painting trim on the house. And uh, I remember being up on the ladder and listening to Live to Tell and Where's the Party and, you know, all the songs. And th there was never a good time for the, the, you know, one side of the cassette to end because I was always in the middle of painting or holding on for dear life or whatever the hell I was doing. But um, yeah, that's that's my main memory of this album. Now, the other thing, uh, and there is a deluxe version I found on iTunes. I put the link uh, in the show notes. I don't know if you guys know, but I always 
uh, put links to where you can purchase the albums that I review uh, in the show notes. Sometimes they're not always available on Amazon. Sometimes they're not always available on iTunes. Um, Discogs, you're on your own because it just depends on when you look. Uh, if you're looking for vinyl or, you know, if you want to look there for CDs or, uh, you know, some albums are available on 8-track or whatever. But um, yeah, Discogs is kind of a just, you know, when you look. So there's really no reason to link that. But uh, so I always look on Amazon and iTunes. And sometimes if it's like a Cherry Red Records review, obviously I'll, I'll link you to their website on top. But um, there is a deluxe version on iTunes. And, and I got I thought this was really cool because there are um, some remixes on there, um, just like with the Debbie Gibson albums. They did some remix versions. But the first remix song I recall ever hearing, like ever, was I got, I was at a record store called Car City Classics in Michigan. And um, tax was 4% back then. Imagine that, four cents on the dollar. And so uh, they did They did a really cool thing where if it was like, a, if the album was a dollar, they would price it at 96 cents. So you could always just pay uh, with uh, bills and you never had to, to play with change at all. That was easier for them. It was easier for you. And all the albums you wanted would pretty much end up on the even dollar, which was awesome. Uh, I think there was some weird break at some point where it didn't quite add up. But in any case, um, this was the store that got a lot of the um, things from the radio station when the radio station took things out of rotation. So they would get 12 inch singles of songs and they would have promo copies stamped on the outside. There wouldn't be an album cover. There would just be uh, it would just be like white with a hole in the middle where you could see the the label of the album and it would be stamped promo copy on the on the cardboard, sometimes on the album itself. Um, not for sale, which is funny because all these were for sale. <laughs> but um, it was really cool because we would every time we would go in there, we never knew what we would find. It wasn't like a regular record store where you're like, OK, the band hasn't released anything new in a year. So there's probably not going to be anything new unless there's some random import. So going to the record store after a while wasn't that exciting because they always had the same things. Whereas going to Car City Classics, they sold used stuff. They sold the radio station recycles. Um, it was really cool because it was like, I can't wait to go and see what is going to be available. And I got all kinds of cool things that I swear I really, really wish I had uh, these days. Uh, trying to make up for that as I can now. Uh, thank you to Discogs and eBay who have been absolutely hugely helpful in that endeavor. But one of the things I had was the 12-inch single of Madonna's La Is La Bonita. I remember I loved the video. I loved um, just the, the whole atmosphere of the song. We'll, we'll talk about that more when we get to the song. Um, but that I got at Car City Classics. So um, anyway, the reason I'm telling you all this is because on the deluxe version of True Blue on iTunes, they have uh, both versions of La Isla Bonita, the extended remixes um, that were on that uh, 12-inch single that I had. So that's pretty cool. That was my the first time I ever remember hearing a, a remix. And I thought at the time, I mean, they weren't going anywhere near as far as they are today. And they're like crazy out of control with them today and making a lot of choices that as a, as a songwriter, as a musician, um, as a fan of music, I just like... Phil Collins uh, in the air tonight should not have a dance beat to it. Um, the most offensive one I heard was uh, White Flag by Dido that was done up to be a dance song. And this is, you know, a gut wrenching emotional song. Why would you pick that and then make a dance? beat? just just horrible decisions, in my opinion. Um, but they're also taking them to like crazy levels now where this was just very basic remix stuff. Um, 
pretty innovative for the time, whereas nowadays this would be like barely touched compared to what they're doing. Uh, but in any case, I thought it was interesting. Um, it was a fascinating thing for for me to hear different versions of songs because other than live or studio outtakes, we didn't have access to anything back then. So this was a pretty neat uh, get for me. So uh, all that being said, there's uh, there's my history with Madonna's True Blue. I never did get it on vinyl. Um, it is on my list of ones to get for the future, as is Like a Virgin. Like a Virgin, I actually did have on vinyl. Um, brand new copy of it that I got at Harmony House at Macomb Mall. For those of you from uh, back home who remember Harmony House, um, man, got a lot of records there too before we discovered some of these other uh, like used stores and things like that. Um, but anyway, from the cassette uh, is what I had. And the opening song uh, is an interesting one. It was very controversial, as I recall, and it's called Papa Don't Preach. Yep, I got knocked up. That's basically the um, the theme of the song. And um, she's keeping it, which is cool. You know, total respect for that. Um, and she's uh, asking for parental help. I don't recall if she ever gets it in the story, but that's the, the big controversy. Like, you know, going to your father and saying, uh, you know, I, I know you think I'm uh, daddy's sweet little innocent girl, but I'm totally not. And I've messed my life up. Or maybe you messed it up. And here we are. What do I do? Um, very, very controversial, uh, which was not unheard of for Madonna to stir the pot. I think, you know, the thing is, is that I think as an artist, just like just listening to her music with uh, with her messages aside, like just listening to her her uh, flow of the vocals, her the sound of her voice, the music she was writing. I think she was a great artist. But, you know, one thing that set her kind of ahead of the curve was all the controversial stuff she did. And um, I, she knew how to play the business. There's no doubt about that. And she did it very, very well with the documentaries and the videos and uh, just the subject matter. Um, very, very, very well done. She got her career off with a bang. I, I often wonder if she had just been taken for the songs themselves and not all the politics. I wonder how noticed she would have been. Would she have been just another artist? Would she have still uh, topped the charts? It's not that the music isn't good enough to do that. It's a matter of the attention and people buying albums because there's controversy. You know, um, like I've talked on the show about the PMRC and how many records they sold by for bands that would have never sold more than a hundred records or a couple hundred records simply because they said, don't listen to this. And everybody's like, well, now I've got to listen to this. You know, um, I wonder how much of that was the controversy with Madonna versus just her general popularity. 
She probably got more play because it was controversial. I'm sure she got more sales for it. But I have to wonder without that, how would she have done? I mean, we'll never know. But uh, if, if there's a parallel universe where she didn't do that and just made it on her own merit as an artist, uh, I, I would love to know what those figures would be. But either way, it's a good song. Not one of my favorites. I think it's kind of boring, to be honest. Um, it's kind of a slow album starter, too. Um, I would think, you know, for an, a mid-80s pop album, you'd want something starting off with, with a little bit more energy. Um, but she doesn't necessarily have a lot of power songs. She just has good songs. And they're, you know, mid or upper mid-tempo, not real barn burners or anything. She's not rock and roll. But um, yeah, I don't know. This just seemed kind of like a, a weak opener um, to to kind of define or set the pace for the album. Uh, still a good song, just not one of my favorites. Obviously, it was hugely successful. So um, all comes down to taste. The second song, however, um, with a very, very bizarre video that I'll talk about after the clip. Uh, this one's called Open Your Heart. I remember now <laughs> that's a different Madonna song. No, I do. Okay. So this was the song that made me want to buy the cassette. Cause I had seen the video. I really dug the song. Um, I thought the keyboard rhythmic melody of the keyboards was super cool. Really liked her voice on this, the video, if I remember it right and, and forgive me, cause it's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, I could look it up, but I'm not gonna do that. So, uh, I think it's more fun to go off my memory. She worked at a, like a carnival as a stripper, like one of those old school ones where you, you put your coin in the thing and the window opens up uh, automatically and you can just see her in this little room dancing around and taking her clothes off or whatever. I think like that was her job. And this little boy, uh, young kid, maybe, I, I don't know, I want to guess 11 or 12 was, was trying to see the peep show. And, and then she was like, no dude. And, and then they ended up becoming friends. And at the end, uh, she comes out dressed kind of like a guy in, in, in like, well, I, in like a Don Johnson kind of outfit and she had a hat and they just kind of danced off together in, into the sunset. It, it was a really weird video as I recall. I mean, I know there was a point to it, but the point of the video didn't really seem to match the song exactly. And maybe that was my presumption about what, what the actual song was about. But, you know, with lines like one is such a lonely number, you're kind of thinking, you know, hey, I'm interested in you and you're all closed off because you've been hurt. But if you open up your heart, like maybe we can be together is, is what I've always gotten out of this. Um, but I love the sound of the keyboards on this. She's really good at that style. Um, it's very common for her. Um, so this was the one that um, 
got me to buy the cassette. And then when I got the cassette, that's when I heard La Is La Bonita. Uh, and then I saw the video and then I saw the uh, 12 inch single and got that. So, okay. So that's how it all came together. I'm so glad that I have pieces of my memory left to actually be able to uh, recall all of this stuff. So a uh, great song though. I, I really, really dig this one. Her voice is is just in top form on it. She's got a very powerful voice. She really does. And um, she she really knows how to use it. She's a great songwriter. Um, just absolutely very, very talented. Um, so our, our next one is um, a little bit weird. This song is called White. A cop. How do you like that, boys? A cop. <laughs> and we went for it. I went for it, treated him like a kid brother, and I was going to split 50-50 with a cop. <laughs> Maybe they're waiting to pin a medal on him. Come on, get up. Get your hands up. Yeah, that's it. A nice gold medal for the cop. Only maybe he's going to get it sooner than he thinks. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of, um, well, that's not true. Sometimes I really liked it. Like when, when Nathan from the Deep Purple podcast and I reviewed uh, Event Level Extinction from uh, Busta Rhymes, there were those, uh, you know, uh, openings to the songs or closings. I think they were at the end of the songs where they were like these little comedy bits. This one, I've just never been a fan of that, um, you know, cheeky uh, cop talk from what would be like the the forties or or whatever, um, and and I get like the chorus because uh, my love is dangerous. This is a bust. Like it kind of goes with the cop theme, but I don't know. It just it just never really fit together for me, and it always seemed a little bit cheesy. And then there's a a, part, a middle section with the cops again, and I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't know what you paid to license that, but um, I think you could have done something way better without going that route. I don't know what her vision was for the song, to be honest, but um, that part doesn't really work for me. I think the song's just a little too slow. I think if it were, you know, maybe seven or eight more beats per minute, I think it could have been something uh, a bit more fantastic. As as it goes, it's a little um, a little slow and boring for me. Um, a lot of times, uh, if you know, if I'm listening to this in the car, I'll just fast forward uh, to the next one. But speaking of that, I should point out, I realize that um, this digitized version that we're listening to is actually dubbed from my cassette. Um, when I, uh, was moving and, and got rid of all my cassettes, I just kind of digitized the, everything and with the, uh, plan to eventually replace everything on uh, CD or, or vinyl, which I'm still, uh, working on. Um, vinyl has been a really interesting adventure when you look at some of the prices and go, why the hell? Um, Deep Purple's Bananas is going for like $700 and it's a really not that easy to find good copies of it. I'm like, I don't know why. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It, it, everything's just really weird right now. But in any case, I think as generations, um, you know, transition and sell their stuff off for money or, um, you know, leave it, leave their things to people in wills. And they're going to be like, I don't want this. And then we're going to get an influx of 
some of those albums as as that happens. So I don't know. We'll see. It's like uh, things change all the time. Um, I haven't priced this one yet. Um, I would imagine there's a good number of copies. If it sold, you know, 25 million copies, there should be a number of them out there. Uh, plus there's probably a reissue. I mean, anything I would imagine sold that sold in the top 50 of all times is probably available on brand new 180 gram. Um, so I don't know. I'll have to take a look and see what's out there, but in any case, yeah, this song just, um, never really did it for me, but one that does is our next song. It is called live to tell. So it goes almost a full minute before we get vocals. But here's here's the thing. I love the atmosphere of this song. You know, I've talked about songs that have that kind of cool edge, like um, Adore by Miley Cyrus. Um, songs that just have that edge. And, and this one definitely has that feel. Part of it might be uh, just the way the song came to me, like listening to it on that cassette while I was up there in the autumn, uh, you know, uh, weather painting the house, but I don't know. The, there's just something about the feel of the song that I love. I also kind of realize it sounds like that's a, a keyboard that, that is being played like a guitar riff, which is interesting because that's not a keyboard style you hear often, but that would explain a lot about her sound. Um, it could be a guitar that's just got that mute on it, but it really sounded more like a keyboard to me. In any case, um, very, very beautifully done. It's a very patient song. It has a very warm and beautiful chorus to it. But just just the whole atmosphere of the song for me is, is really wonderful and fantastic. I highly suggest listening to this song without distraction. Like, don't just put it on while you're doing other things. Like, actually just sit down for a few minutes and listen to the song. It's like five and a quarter minutes just take a few minutes, put the headphones on and just listen to it. It's a really, really good song. And uh, one that um, I, I think has a good place at number four on the album. Um, but, you know, we have to end side A with something, right? Some kind of bang. And this one's called Where's the Party?
really cool um, keyboard rhythm and and melody. I, I like that. Uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of Only in My Dreams by Debbie Gibson. Makes me wonder if uh, maybe one of those didn't inspire the other one. Uh, they would have been around the same time, I think. Uh, but in any case, uh, this is a really cool song. There's a couple of weird things about it. There's one part where she just kind of cackles out of nowhere, and that's weird. And then at the end, there's a baby crying. I never understood what that was about. But regardless, fantastic song, great energy, great way to end a side. Like when this song is done, you're like, I, I'm all hyped up now. It's the, the, you know, this is the most motivational song of side one. And uh, now, you, you know, you've listened to some mellow tunes. Now you're all fired up and you got to hear more. So you got to flip it over to side two and you're going to do it. But really cool song. Um, it gets really hyper intense in the chorus with the bass. I think she did a great job with the synths on this one. And then um, for the last section, she actually changes it to a completely different section, kind of reminiscent of the, the 60s, a um, little faster. But there's some really nice vocal layering in there. If you listen really closely, you can hear it. And um, I think it kind of makes the song for me. So uh, kudos for side A. I think we're, uh, we're, we're five for five so far. Pretty happy with that. We've got four songs for side two. We're going to go with the title track, True Blue. Yeah, this really feels like a uh, a modern take on a 50s song for me. Um, I can I can imagine this being played at the soda fountain, <laughs> you know, um, the guys with their hair, you know, with the the slicked back with the product in it and the white, you know, crisp white T-shirts and um, definitely picture that uh, for this song. But it's got a really good feel to it. I like it. I, I love the sense on it. Um, it. It's really a lot more complex than it seems. And when you really start peeling apart the layers of, of her music, there's actually a lot of intelligent stuff in here. And I, I know people really just think about Madonna as the front of the band Madonna, I guess, for lack of better terms. And she really is. But at the same point, if you listen to the music, there's a lot of stuff going on in here. And it's really cool. I really dig this song. Um, again, kind of got a great feel to it, a little bit slower for a side opener. Again, uh, I kind of want something to kick it off because I feel like if you have a tempo like this that starts a side, you might just go, "Ah, you know what? I wasn't as ready for side two as I thought I was going to be. And so you just stop. But we're not going to. And why? Because we've got three more songs to cover. The next one is my favorite on this album. Still to this day, absolutely love this song. And uh, it is called, I've already told you the story, so uh, I'm just going to get right to the song. It's called La Isla Bonita. 
You know what? Even with that uh, synth brass, I absolutely love the song. You've got great percussion. You've got some Spanish guitar. You've got a few, you know, Spanish phrases thrown in there. But you've got passion. That's the most important thing. Like you really feel that she really cares about this person, and I love that. That's so vital for a song like this. Is it's got to be believable, and she just sings it with masterful technique. But the music, again, music is great. I love her synth bass style. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, I could listen to this song over and over and over again, and um, I'll probably listen to it again after I'm done recording the podcast. So there. So I don't think I need to say anything more about it. I've I've already said uh, quite a bit earlier, and now um, there's just a clip for you to enjoy and to uh, make you want to listen to the whole song yourself. So check that out. It's a really good song. And um, our next song ironically. So we go from my favorite song to my least favorite song on this album. Here's Jimmy Jimmy. Not biased at all. Okay, let me let me just say, musically, I actually really like this song. I think it's got a great rhythm to it. It's got a great groove. The tempo is much needed on this album. But Jesus Christ, the lyrics, I can't stand them. Um, I don't, I never liked that, that concept when people just repeat people's names like that. Jimmy, Jimmy, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy. I mean, it's one thing if you're like, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. And you do that once, Okay. Or like on Dead Like Me, they had the occasional joke of Mason, 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 which which was great because it wasn't like every time he walked into the room, they weren't all like Mason, Mason, Mason. But this is just so incredibly repetitive, and I don't even like it the first time I hear it. Um, the, her voice sounds good, like the backups and everything, they sound really good, but it's just it just drives me nuts. I'm sorry, it, it just, ugh, it's awful. However musically it's fantastic it's really busy got a lot of exciting stuff going on um really cool layering on the synths um exactly what you would expect from a madonna song at this era 
But yeah, that the vocals just really ruined it for me, unfortunately. So um, that's that. But we have one more song. One more song. And it is called Love Makes the World Go Round. as much as I dislike synth brass and I've talked about it on this show and, and we've talked about it when I've been a guest on the Deep Purple podcast, I have to say, I don't mind it on this album. I think it really fits in well. It's not um, it's present, but it's not too much in the front where it's annoying. It actually blends in very, very well. But I was thinking about this concept about love makes the world go round and, and metaphorically, yes, it absolutely does. But I was thinking but what actually makes the world go round, like physically makes the earth spin? Because I'm sure while I've heard this at some point um, while I was a kid, uh, I, I've never really thought about it more than that. I just know that it does. And that's that, you know, the sun doesn't go up and down. We just turn towards and away from it. So uh, I looked it up. I just Google searched, why does the earth uh, rotate? What makes the earth rotate? And I got the earth spins because of the way it was formed. Well, there you have it. Got nothing to do with love nothing. Um, but then it went on to another entry of what happens if the earth stops spinning. And um, this is kind of interesting. It says if the earth were to stop spinning, uh, but continue in orbit, the uh, a day would last a year and a half, and so would a night. So we would still turn, but incredibly slowly, like imperceptibly. Uh, so let's hope that doesn't happen. I think spinning is kind of a good thing. Um, I'm a big fan of the night and, uh, I love that. And I don't want to have to, uh, move across the world every year and a half. That would suck. Uh, I, I don't mind the day, but I don't like that much of it. No, thank you. I, uh, I like darkness. It, um, it's just easier for me to deal with. Uh, I think part of that too is because as an artist, uh, most artists like to work overnight. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think one, it's just, it's a little cooler out. There's, it's just, it's less busy. There's less people that are active. So there's less people that are going to um, interrupt your day or need something from you or whatever. Like at night, everyone's sleeping. So you can kind of just focus on your stuff and be an artist. Um, there's probably something about the gravitational pull, something about like the relaxation of the the darkness versus the brightness of the sun or whatever. I don't, there's probably a lot to it. But to me, that's always been the thing. Um, so uh, that's my stance anyway. But yeah, this is a great song. It's a great song to end the album on. It's very energetic. It's very uplifting. And uh, it makes you want more. And I've always said the the best way to end an album is in a way that makes you go, okay, I got to hear that again. Whether it just be that song or that side, or you go back to side A uh, and listen to the whole thing again, of course, with CD. Um, for those of you who were not 
part of the cassette or album generations, uh, that would mean just restarting the CD or your MP3 player. <laughs> um, you could uh, say put it on loop if you if you would. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really good album. I mean, I can see why it was so popular. I think there's a couple of lulls on it, though, which is is kind of amazing. And I, I always wonder, like, when albums sell this much, what is it that causes them to sell? Is it the album on the whole? Is it the fact that they had some kind of hit um, where people were like, well, if I like the song this much, I don't want to buy the 45 I, or the single cassette. I will just go ahead and buy the album because I'll probably it's Madonna. I'll probably like uh, most of the album. And then you never really know what worked and what didn't work. You only know based off the fact that the album was popular, but not which songs. Um, you know from the single releases which ones were popular, but maybe those aren't the favorites when you buy the album. Um, it's so hard to tell. You know, I I struggle with that because I, I I'd love to know that's the kind of thing that my brain goes to, but I want to understand and, and I, you never will. There's no way to track it. So uh, it's an impossible uphill battle, unfortunately, but one that um, I'm not going to fight because there's no point. <laughs> but in any case, yeah, I really dig this album. Um, I, I totally understand why it has the popularity that it does. Um, I do have intention of doing at least one more Madonna episode at some point with some of her singles that she did. I don't know if I'm going to cover Like a Virgin or not. I, I went looking for it because I actually was going to do that episode first and realized I don't have it. So for some reason, I don't know whether I didn't um, tape that from my album or whether that tape broke somewhere along the way and I just never got it again. That's very possible. Um, so I'll I'll get the vinyl at some point and then I'll dub that to digital and do a, do a show based on that. But yeah, that little hiss you heard, that was all the tape hiss. Um, very nostalgic of, of when I used to listen to the album. So that I, I really kind of like that. Obviously, it's been a while since I've heard it. Um, but yeah, that's that's cool. That brings back some memories and it kind of puts me right back on that ladder painting the trim on, on our house in Michigan. Um, so that's it for for today's episode, guys. Uh, if you want to hear more of me. I also have Uriah Heap, the Magicians podcast. That show is basically done until they come out with another album. Um, and then uh, there's also another show that I am a co-host on. You can find me on Aerosmith or on Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited with my co-host, Corey Morissette, who is slowly taking over the podcast world. Uh, he and I are going through everything Aerosmith recorded uh, in the studio and the, and deciding like what is the ultimate Aerosmith mixtape. So one side of the tape has nine uh, hits and the other one is nine deep cuts. And we're saying, hey, if somebody had never heard of Aerosmith or said, hey, I've heard of the band, but I don't know anything by him. What should I check out to see if I like him or not? We would hand them then this mixtape and say, here's what here's what our choices are from their entire catalog for you to decide whether you like this band or not. Um, of course, it's all subjective and it's all in the moment, you know, uh, but it's a really fun experiment. And Corey is such a blast to do a show with. He's got a bunch of other shows that he does uh, all on the uh, Deep Dive Podcast Network, along with, with uh, Uriah Heap, the Magician's Podcast is on there. Uh, so for that, you can go to my website, scotthaskin.com and uh, on the Uriah Heap page, as well as the Aerosmith page uh, for the podcast, I have the lists of the Deep Dive Podcast Network. You can check out all the shows there. You can get links to all of my shows, obviously, uh, links to Uriah Heap and uh, this, the Haskin Cast podcast. All those episodes are available to stream through my website. 
Um, at least hopefully I'm still working on the transition as I record this. I just needed to take a break from uploading episodes and make another one. So I've got something uh, a little bit in the bank when I get started up uh, uploading new episodes again, as soon as I get caught up uploading the old episodes again. So uh, this is a good time. So as you're listening to this, I'm recording this like a month in advance, and I'm uh, still in the process of getting all those uh, up on the new distributor. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Have a great one. Um, I'll be back uh, again at least next week, if not sooner, um, with another review. Uh, you know, I since I'm recording this so early, I don't know what I'll have scheduled out. Um, but this one will basically take me to what, like the end of the end of September. Uh, so then we get into our October month, which is always my favorite. Um, got some interesting stuff lined up for that. If it all pans out, we shall see. But in the meantime, thanks for checking out the show. I hope you guys have a great week and, um, yeah, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>